0: No matter who you are, things in your life probably aren't going as expected, whatever that means. But the things you are doing right now, no matter what they are, that's your life. It's not a plan B. I'm your host Madeline Mortensen, and you're listening to This Is Not A Backup Plan. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A., member FDIC. Good morning, and welcome to this week's episode of This Is Not a Backup Plan. I am so glad that you are here and I am very excited about this week because Wednesday is the one-year anniversary of the podcast. So thank you to everyone who has been listening from the beginning and who has kept coming back. And thank you to all the new listeners. I hope that you will stick around for a while and that you'll listen to some of the back catalog. There are a lot of great episodes that are very evergreen and can kind of be a toolkit with some helpful advice. I have been looking forward to this week's episode for a while. It's also another toolkit kind of episode. It is about financial planning. As I put question boxes on Instagram to ask what you guys would be interested in hearing about, financial planning has come up a lot. And In seeking out guests and seeking out ideas, this week's guest is someone who pitched herself to me and said that she would love to talk about financial planning. So I thought it was the perfect confluence, someone who was excited to talk about the topic and a topic that a lot of you were interested in. My guest this week is Kirsten Cadden, and I'll let her introduce herself. I am so excited for you to hear from her. Kirsten and I recorded this episode before Christmas and it went a little bit longer than we expected so I'm going to split it up into two weeks. This week you're going to hear my conversation with Kirsten and then next week you'll hear Kirsten answer some listener questions that we solicited from Instagram so make sure to come back for that. Hello, Kirsten. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have you here. Will you take a minute and introduce yourself? Hi, thank you. Yes, I am very
1: excited to be here. I am Kirsten. I am a CFP professional, which means certified financial planner. I have a master's degree from Kansas State University in financial planning. And as part of that, master's degree, I did a certificate in financial therapy, which is a lesser known kind of aspect of like the financial help world. That's where my passion lies. And so that's me and that's where my financial
0: knowledge is. I am really excited to chat with you. I think your background is so interesting. I had not heard of financial therapy before. That's very cool to learn something new. Do you mind giving just a brief explanation of what that is before we get too far into our topic?
1: Sure. So financial therapy, like as a quote profession, it's very new. And there actually is a certification. Someone can go on to become like a certified financial therapist. That's a pretty new thing. And it's a small community of people who are pursuing that path, but it's growing a lot. I think that anyone who is A financial advisor or financial planner who's sitting down with people and helping them with money feels like a financial therapist just because, in the course of saying, What do you want? When do you want to retire? What do you want to be doing with your money in 20 years? You naturally talk about relationships and goals and hopes and dreams, and things can come out about like family tension or just those things naturally come out when you're talking about money. And so, I think when you're thinking of financial therapy as like a broader concept and not just a certification, it's that, it's just like that intersection. There's a group, the financial therapy association that works in that space. And their goal is to expand professionals who, even if they aren't interested in like pursuing any sort of like therapeutic certifications, they are just like really informed about that side of things and they can be really sensitive when they're working with their clients and have maybe get some like mental health education or things like that so that when they go in with their
0: financial advising clients, they are have a more holistic education. That's really interesting. Money has like so much shame and so much stigma and so much emotion attached to it. But I feel like so often we think about it as like numbers are cut and dry. And they're just the way they are. And we don't always culturally think about how people feel about money as being valid or as being like so intertwined with it. I think that's something that's maybe not always acknowledged to the extent it should be.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's I think if you ignore that, the advice can sound hollow and not like real to your real life. So it's really important to think
0: about that whole picture. I love that. So today we're going to talk about financial planning and really like the basics and getting started and what it might look like for a young adult, like some general advice that will hopefully help people feel empowered to ask questions and to do research. Because I know for me, money is a topic that I often feel overwhelmed by because I don't know where to start. And so I think our goal with this conversation is to help people feel empowered to start a conversation, to feel empowered, to know what types of terms to look for, to be able to advocate for themselves and ask questions questions and do research to get started will you just give a definition of what financial planning is so that we're all starting from the same point
1: sure so financial planning is in one sense it's like self-explanatory like financial planning like you probably think about like budgeting or having some money saved like anyone can identify those things when we talk about like money and good financial habits. There's a term that professionals often refer to comprehensive financial planning. If you were to visit like the website of a financial advisor, they would probably say something like we offer comprehensive financial planning. And that's basically just like touching a professional will sit down with you and they will touch on hopefully anything in your life that touches money. So life insurance, disability insurance, home and auto insurance, even health insurance. like We're going to look at those things because those all relate to money, to planning, to long-term security, to emergency preparedness. We're going to talk about estate planning, which is a will, a trust, making sure that your wishes are carried out in terms of your money and your belongings, making sure that like a spouse and a child and anyone else you wanna provide for is taken care of. Of course, like investing and long-term building savings so that you can buy a house, you can retire, you can support parents or children, like all, whatever goals you have, you have a financial aspect. And a good financial planner will probably start by asking about your goals and go from there. And then there's so many things that money can touch. So if you have a good financial planner who is doing comprehensive financial planning, you can bring anything to them and say, there's a financial aspect to this. I want to talk about it. But those would be the basics would be just like the investing, the long-term planning, the goals, and then just figuring out what your path looks like and how you're going to get there and reach your goals. And that's like uh, success is reaching your goals, whatever they
0: are. I think what you're saying was really helpful about that a good financial planner will help you identify your goals. That's something you can sit down and do, start to do on your own before you start meeting with someone is identifying your goals. Because then as you're figuring out who's a good fit for you, you can say, wow, this thing is important to me. And like, maybe they're not talking about it. In the way, or maybe they're not taking it seriously, and it can help you evaluate like the financial planner you want to work with, and it can also just help you evaluate like important starting points that you feel prepared to have that conversation to start thinking about what do I value and what are some of the things that are important to me that I'm hoping to get out of this.
1: I recently wrote an article for our company blog about the three financial priorities for young adults or anyone starting who feels like they don't know where to start i consulted with our the planners on our team and the number one thing was identify your goals because i think if you just sit down you're like i have to have a budget but you don't have any sense of like why or what the goal is with the budget or like what budgeting will help you achieve what you're saving for if you're just like i have to save money why like having a goal and having a target and having some perspective makes all the other things you have to do make sense and if you skip that part some of those things cannot make sense because like why is it important to know how much i'm spending on groceries like in and of itself that's not really an important thing to know but it can be if we're looking in terms of like goals and planning and long term so i think like goal setting can also be kind of a weird nebulous concept like i could just throw anything out there and be like that's a goal but what does that mean i think like the starting point especially like for financial goals is think of it as like vision board exercise like just what do i want my life to look like what do i value do i want to own my own home do i love traveling do i really want to have a family and feel like i can Spend money on like kids' stuff or education opportunities, just brainstorming with yourself. It could get really crazy. And then not everyone can do every possible financial thing there is to do. But don't limit yourself. If you are like, I want to go on a ridiculous vacation to Europe at least once where I just don't worry about money and I like rent a yacht, that would be so fun. That would be crazy. I think there's a tendency sometimes. I do this where I think that's not me. That's not my life. I couldn't do that. But why not? If you save and prepare and have that on your vision board of this is something that I would love to do in my life, there's no reason not to plan for that. And so I feel like goal setting should be a fun exercise that energizes you. And if it doesn't feel that way, then like maybe back up and revisit how it can feel like fun and exciting or creating peace or whatever whatever you really value
0: i love just the focus on what some of the things about it can be joyful and what can be exciting because i like we talked about, there's a lot of shame around money. There's a lot of stress around money. We're at a time where things right now just feel very stressful. Like It's stressful to have like, record-setting inflation. It's stressful to watch interest rates keep going up. This is stressful. And I think recognizing that money is a tool that can help you accomplish some of your goals and that thinking about what you like, want your life to look like in the long term is valuable because if you don't sit down and do that thinking like, when will that happen if you don't sit into right. the thinking yeah. of what matters to me like you can't create a path to get there absolutely so we talked about goal setting what are the other things that you feel like are really key to know about getting started if someone's like i know i need to do this like i need to think about this i need to have some plans in place i need to set some goals like how do people get started and start accessing the resources that they're going to need to use to do financial planning
1: I think the next step, like if you go to a financial advisor, depending on who you go see, and we'll get into, I want to definitely touch on that a little bit more about like finding, like working with a professional. But if you are just sitting down with yourself, taking stock of your own things, like wanting to get your own things in order, I think of like financial housekeeping. The two things that I think are the most basic are cash flow. And an emergency fund. I say cash flow instead of budgeting because I feel like the word budgeting scares people. Like you meet immediately think of Excel spreadsheets and so many little tiny categories where you have to decide how much you're going to spend on, like, really specific things and it just is like such a slog and I've never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever successfully created a budget. I'm a financial planner and i have never, when you think of just like the traditional, like here's a budgeting worksheet and here's all these categories like household supplies and car supplies and pet supplies and like the categories, I have never successfully like, sat down and planned all that out and like exactly stuck to it. But I would say I'm very good at cash flow. And so I would like to start a small revolution where we reframe that image of budgeting that's just like mind numbing and like really hard to get right and feel like
0: successful at. As someone who just updated my Excel sh- spreadsheet this morning, that's always messy and always chaotic, and that I hate physically going and updating, and always feel like I'm really bad at keeping this organized, <laughs> but I haven't thought of a better tool. I'm very glad to know that as someone who's like doing this professionally, that's not your thing. Because every time I do this, I'm like, should really be a more on top of this. This is not this hard, but it is. It's so hard. It is. I've never met any. Some
1: people like love, they, that works with their brain and they kind of love the keeping track and stuff. But truthfully, I don't think I've met anyone that's I have just mastered this and every, my categories are spot on every month. I never go over. I'm always right on top of updating it every month. Who has the time? It's not, it's like a terrible experience. So when I say cash flow, like it literally means the flow of cash, the flow of money and you have money flowing in two directions. Money flowing in, money flowing out. At the end of the day, like those two numbers are the only two numbers you need to know. It doesn't really matter like how much you spent on whatever. I'm trying to think of like budgeting worksheets. I know there's always a line item for like pet supplies. Like It doesn't matter (laughs) how much you spent in that little specific category. It really just matters like how much you spent in total compared to how much you brought in and then how much you were able to save. And of course, like paying bills on time and stuff is like part of this. So I think of it in terms of fixed expenses and discretionary expenses in terms of your spending. So fixed expenses are things with a deadline, things that are basically the same every month, rent or mortgage, maybe like a student loan payment or a car payment, utilities, even though they fluctuate, like they're going to be due every month and there's going to be like an average amount. So most people have a pretty good sense of those things because they come up due every month and we need to pay them and we know how much our rent is. That's something we're going to know and that is going to be pretty easy to write down in terms of like traditional budgeting. Once you have a sense of those things and you've made sure that you're like paying on time and you know what the average always if it is truly an average like utilities it's good to err on the side of assuming it's going to be maybe a little more than it might be in some months you got your fixed expenses that's going to be probably easier to figure out and then The other category, discretionary expenses, it doesn't mean that they're not necessary, but really hard to identify an exact amount like groceries like that can vary so much month to month. It's not due. You don't have to spend the money on a certain day of the month like it's you're going to get groceries whenever you get groceries. It's. Hard to identify. So obviously, food is a necessary expense, but it's like pretty hard to nail down exactly how much you're spending every month. So I treat the discretionary expenses category as just like my everything else category. So I've got my fixed expenses, bills, due things that I know come around every month are always the same every month. And then just like my everything else and i don't stress too much about did i spend this much on groceries versus did i spend this much on like household supplies like it doesn't matter if you if it helps you to break it down further into categories that's great and if you're just starting and you've never made a budget it might be helpful to get a visual on like how much am i spending on food and it might be helpful to just to have like a necessary and an unnecessary like food, gas, so that you can drive to work. Like, th- those things are going to be more necessary than like those random Amazon purchases that always happen every month. Even mm-hmm. if you don't think they will, they just somehow magically show up. So, However you want to break it down, like however works for your brain, do that. The only good budget is a budget that works for you. And the only bad budget is a budget that doesn't work for you. So don't feel beholden to any specific tools or spreadsheets or whatever. And knowing how much you're bringing in after taxes, like how much truly is in your bank account, that's super important because obviously the goal is to not spend more than that. So if if your budgeting is two lines, how much I'm bringing in, how much I'm spending, that's fine. That's good enough for me. And then you can start to identify, like if you sit down with some bank statements and look at, try to get a sense of how much you're spending and you realize every month I'm spending more than I bring in, or I have this extra cash I'm not really doing anything with. That's when you can start to identify patterns where you may need to rein yourself in a little bit, or you may need to... Be more intentional about saving because there's like money that's just floating out there that you don't really need to spend it every month or you don't really know where it's going every month. So that's cash flow. Get a handle on your cash flow, however works for you. And then an emergency fund is the other piece of that financial housekeeping. The general rule of thumb is three to six months of expenses. You should have that amount in cash I like a high yield savings account for that or just like a bank savings account
0: whatever And I just want to plug for a high yield savings account because I finally did this year. Like, I had a separate savings account set up at a credit union just because I find it helpful to have like emergency savings, like separate from like the account I'm using for the day to day. But I finally set up a high yield savings account. It took me so long to set it up because I thought this will be overwhelming. Like, this is going to take time. It was so simple. It was so fast. It was so smooth. The high yield interest savings account, like I just, I have myna ally, and they just sent an email that like starting tomorrow the interest rates are going to be three point three percent, and it's just that is wildly high. <laughs> so I just yeah, I just <laughs> asked someone that like delayed because I thought this will be overwhelming. I just want to say it was one of the simplest tasks I have ever completed. It went very smoothly, and it just if you have any amount of money that like is not going to get spent every month if you have any amount of money even if it's like a few hundred dollars if you're a month ahead on rent and you have like part of your rent payment put it in a high yield savings account because like it's very easy to access like any amount of cash that you don't need right now it can be in the high yield savings account and it's very simple to use simple to access simple to set up
1: Amen. Absolutely. It's easy. And that's where you want your emergency fund. You want it somewhere that's accessible. You don't want to invest it. You can pull from it when you need it. And it's emergency, like, you don't have to beat yourself up over the definition of an emergency. Let's say payday doesn't line up very well with when a couple bills are due, and you just need to float yourself $100 or whatever. Like, that's a fine use of the emergency fund. You don't have to be like dying to use it, <laughs> but it's it should be for like truly needs and unexpected. And I couldn't have planned for this. And this isn't like frivolous, but I just, I'm never a fan of being too intense about anything or, cause like you said, there's already shame around money. It's already can be a weird thing. So there's no reason to like add to that, but yeah, have your emergency fund. And if it's three to six months of expenses, which would be like your bare bones, like I need this to survive expenses. So just like your rent, enough money for food, enough money to keep the lights on, like the very necessary expenses, three to six months of that can be a pretty large number when you like look at it in total. Don't let that intimidate you. If you have $5,000 saved, that's going to f- cover you through a lot of things. Like That's going to cover a lot of f- Car repairs, that's going to cover. I had to go to urgent care. That'll get you through a lot of things. So, working towards that three to six months is great. And that's going to be like a really comfortable amount. But any amount you can start with is going to serve you. And so, don't get too stressed out about it's not exactly three months or whatever. And also, I automate my savings. So, my the amount that goes into like my cash emergency savings it's automated on the first of every month and so i don't even really notice it like it leaves my account before i even really notice it and it's really nice because like i'll check my savings account and i'm like oh this has been growing but i haven't had to think about okay i have to go in and transfer money so it's super encouraged like an automated transfer that's I think ideal if and it could just be like fifty dollars a month or whatever you're able to do.
0: And I just think with the emergency account, like the emergency savings, like it gets overwhelming of making sure that you have that three to six three to six months. I also think about the fact that like different communities and things have different emergency resources. So recognizing that if you truly lost your job and were in a bad situation, like Some communities have programs that pay utilities. So, as you're like thinking about your expenses, like anything you can save will help you. And as you're going through those expenses, if you're feeling worried, do a little bit of research. Does your community have a utility program? What are other ways you could access some of those expenses? And so do the saving, do the saving that you can, but also if there are things you're worried about, like start doing some research about if there are any alternatives that you could use to support you in an emergency. And then you can share that information with friends when they need it. And then having that in the back of your mind can make things a little bit less scary, I think.
1: I love that. That is such a good suggestion. If something's keeping you up at night, go towards it, explore it, research it, find out what you could do if you were in that situation. Like you said, that can be so much peace of mind, just knowing what is available to you. I love that.
0: And I'll say with automating bills, like I've started to set up a lot of things to come from my high yield savings account so that I can just send more money in there and to make payments for certain things that I need out of it so that just like my money can hang out there. If my money is hanging out and if it's waiting a few weeks to pay a bill, that it like hangs out in my high yield savings account and then sending it there is great because then if the utilities I planned for is less, because like you said, utilities fluctuates, like a little bit more stays in my high yield savings account. And like these things take time to build up, but I just think there are like some good habits, like you're saying, that if you like can do a little bit, like that counts, that will help.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those little habits, they do, they definitely add up. And I think it gives you momentum because you start to see it pay off. And then you're like, oh, I want to keep doing this. Like this is working out for me. And it and you feel a little bit more, maybe excited is too strong of a word, but you feel a little bit
0: more excited about it. So these things you talked about, like cash flow and emergency savings, like those are really good things to do to like take care of yourself in the present. As you're starting to think about long-term goals and starting to think about things like retirement and investing, what are the recommendations for getting started there? Like those are very daunting things to start to figure out.
1: Yeah. And I think that truly is where most of the questions I get lie. Because I think that people inherently know I need to have a budget. I need to like have some cash on hand in case there's an emergency. Like people already know that. I think one of the number one questions I get is how do I start investing? I don't know where to start. And I'll just share a quick kind of, maybe not that funny, but a little bit funny story about me so before I had really studied financial planning or gotten any education around finance, I took a personal finance class and that was the thing that turned me on to personal finance and how much I enjoyed it and we were learning about retirement savings so we looked at like the different types of accounts you can open and like what it means to get an employer match in your 401k like we just were learning these basic things and my teacher for the class said, I think a Roth IRA is like such a great tool for a young person. You don't have a lot of income. It's such a great place to start retirement savings. So he really encouraged us to open Roth IRAs. And I was like, okay, I'm going to gonna be proactive. I'm going to do this. So I opened a Roth IRA. And I started putting in just like tiny amounts, like twenty dollars a month or something, because I didn't have very much. I was in college, but I like felt so I'm doing it. I'm doing the small thing. I'm putting in my money, and I would check it, and the balance never changed. And I was like, okay, investing. I know that it's a long term thing. It takes a while. We learned about this. We learned that like. It's not for short-term results. So I was like continuing to be patient. Every time I checked the balance, it never had changed. Like I had put in $20 and it was only exactly $20 more. I was not seeing any of the like fluctuations that you expect to see when you're investing. It looked like exactly like my like checking or savings account. And it took me an embarrassing amount of time, like years to realize that when you open an investment account and you send money to it you have to invest the money <laughs> if you just send money to it it just sits in cash and it's not like there's some magical place where like it's invested like you actually have to do the investing and it took me until like i was literally in graduate school studying financial planning where i was like oh i know why this account balance never changed it was because i never invested it <laughs> So don't feel bad if that's where you're starting, because that's where I started. <laughs> I literally
0: knew nothing. I find that very relatable. I was putting money in an account that I knew I needed to buy in, so I did know I needed to buy in, but it was overwhelming to me that I like just let it sit because like I get overwhelmed and I think couldn't possibly solve this problem couldn't possibly resolve this. So <laughs> I relate to that so much. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: a really like investing is really daunting and it just feels, it feels like one of those things where it's almost, if I don't know about this, I just shouldn't do it because it feels like there's so many mistakes you could make on accident. And so I totally understand why people are nervous about it. And so I will say like your point about if you're really nervous about losing your job, and not being able to pay your bills, you can research like what help there is in your community. I would say the same thing about investing. If you feel like you don't know where to start and you're feeling like, I really should start. I really should do some long-term savings and I don't know what to do. Like Google is a great place to start. Like start Googling your questions, start educating yourself. And I think that's a really great place to start to helping you feel a little more empowered. You don't need to spend hours. You don't need to Come out feeling like an expert. But there's some really be- beginner friendly resources with good trustworthy information that can help you feel maybe a little more empowered. A little bit more like, okay, someone like me definitely can invest. I like the website Investopedia. I like the website NerdWallet. Like, these are very user friendly. They'll explain things in simple terms. They just have little articles. So, if you just look up like investing for beginners and just read an article on NerdWallet, like, that's our great place to start. And that can teach you a lot that you probably didn't know because it is, there's a lot to learn. There's some basic concepts. I think it's great to understand when you're first starting out with investing, understanding like risk. Sometimes it's called risk profile or risk level, like the level of risk in your account or in your portfolio, understanding like what that means, understanding asset classes. You don't have to get a master's degree. In this but just understanding like when you hear the term asset class what does that mean what is diversification what's an index fund what's a mutual fund what are the types of accounts you can invest in like an IRA or like a 401k or just like a brokerage account like just some basics can be really empowering I would start there if you truly are like I know nothing because I think if you get that little bit of knowledge, It really helps you feel like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And there are people who have invested and saved their whole lives. That's all they ever know. They don't become experts. And you really don't have to become an expert. And I will say, in terms of providing investing advice, it can be tricky. I think part of the reason it can be hard to find advice and to find resources is because Anyone like me, like I am a registered investment advisor, and there's so many regulations that come from the government about providing investment advice because there's lots of fraud, right? Everyone knows about Bernie Madoff and literal pyramid schemes. And there's so many people who can do really bad things when they get other people's money. And so in reaction to that, there have been a lot of regulations put in place to protect investors. When I, for example, do something like this, like a podcast, or if I write an article, I have to abide by these regulations and I can get in trouble. I can get in trouble with my company. I can even get in trouble with the SEC if it's bad enough, if I irresponsibly hand out investment advice. And kind of the criteria, the general spirit of the law is that when you're providing investment advice, you should be doing what is in the best interest of the investor. And it's hard to know what the best interest of everyone who possibly would listen to a podcast could be because people have individual needs and goals and situations. So it's really hard. That's why I'm not going to say, I really like these five index funds. That's way too specific to just offer generally. And I would love to say like here, It's easy. Go open this type of account and buy these five things, and then you're done and you're set. But I can't do that because I don't know who might hear that advice. I don't know what their situation might be. And so it needs to be more personalized than that. And so knowing like all the regulations and the background and the limitations that would be placed on someone when they were just like making a YouTube video or whatever, if they're a good advisor they're going to be sensitive to those things and they're going to be careful. And so it might be annoying because their advice won't tell you like exactly what to do. And that's a point because they need to know you and they need to look at your financial situation before they would feel comfortable giving you more exact and specific advice. And so I think that you can use that to be a little bit discerning about people on YouTube and TikTok and whatever, like giving their advice. If they are just saying, I think everyone should buy gold. I think everyone should buy this fund," That's really specific advice. And can you really say that's what everyone should do? How do you know that's what everyone should do? And so I would be cautious if you're hearing that kind of investment advice. It's like with anything else or the source, is it reputable? And would someone who is like reputably working as an investment advisor be saying this? Would they be like going on TikTok and just saying everyone should do this one simple trick and then they'll get rich? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is.
0: I think that's a really helpful piece of context to know because I think when you're doing research, it's overwhelming of what you should trust. So, knowing that like reputable sources are not going to give you like step by steps or like top five favorite things, they're not going to give you overly specific advice because they can't. And so, someone that this is the secret, this is the best, it's just a nice like red flag to be like, what is this person's credentials?
1: Right. And like, you know, your uncle might be like, I love this mutual fund or whatever. And that's a little different. But if it's if it's someone claiming to be an expert, like you said, and they don't seem to be very like cautious, then that's not really a good sign.
0: (laughs) You mentioned some resources which are really great. I wanted to add just a few. The financial feminist Tori Dunlap is I think who runs that. And she has a podcast. She has different workshops. She has a book coming out. And I've mostly listened to her podcast and I find it very helpful. She like interviews people about their experiences. She talks about different elements of financial things, not just investing a wide variety of things. And what I really like is like listening to have those conversations opens up like questions in my mind, like other things I'd wanna research. It like helps me become more familiar with vocabulary. It helps me see like other people's experiences, hear about other people's backgrounds. And so I think if you want to be just more comfortable With money and with asking those questions, having those conversations, that's like a simple thing to do. Listen to a podcast, hear people share stories, and it like introduces you to things that you haven't heard about. The Utah Treasurer's Office hosts a conference every year called Utah Women and the Money, which I've done an episode about. And it's like very low cost to attend, or like the virtual conference will even be free. And they'll do workshops about investing, like the basics of investing, getting started. And that's like, a very great, very reputable source to go to. Like The treasurer's office is serving for a public good. They are not seeking to gain from having this conference. They're seeking to improve the lives of women in the state. And then if you're Company, if where you work has like a plan that you can invest in, like in my observation, there's often a representative for like the plans for your company that you can talk and they can talk with you about your account for the company. But I've even had some help in talking about bigger financial picture, like beyond this account I have with my company, here are some other things I do. And like, what are some thoughts on like, my long-term, that might not be a resource that serves all your needs, but it can maybe be a starting point to reach out to the representative for your work account that you have through your employer.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, if you get hired somewhere and they're like, here's our 401k and you don't know what to do with it, that's a great resource is to find that person and ask if you could
0: sit down with them and just get some help getting started. And I really did tell the person on the phone, like, I have this account, this is what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you just talk with me about the basics of my retirement, the basics of what I'm doing right now and like how things look for me? And like, he's, yeah, tell me this other stuff that you do. And that gives me like a bigger picture about you. And I can tell you what I think and maybe some things that would be useful for you to know. That's awesome. I love that. It was really great to talk about like some basics for taking care of yourself now, some thoughts for like planning for the future. Are there any other things that you feel like are important to touch on for people that are starting out? There was a good question
1: with kind of just a simple answer someone submitted. They said, what do you wish everyone knew about money in their 20s? And obviously, there's like the specifics, a lot of the things we've already talked about. But just in general, I would say don't wait to feel like an expert. I think that's something that holds people back with money a lot is it feels really daunting. It feels like there's a lot of ways that you can make mistakes. And there are. We hear about all the financial like crisis and credit card debt and all, like there can be big problems for sure, but don't wait to feel like you're an expert. Don't wait to feel like you're an expert to start learning about investing. Feel like you have to become an expert in order to do a good enough job. And I think that applies to like most things in life, like good enough is good enough. And sitting down and trying to figure out a reasonable budget for yourself might be trying to like learn a little bit more about investing so you feel like you can get started, like putting little amounts into emergency savings, putting little amounts towards like long-term retirement savings or saving for a house or whatever your goals are that really adds up and it builds habits and it puts you in the mindset of being open to learning more whereas waiting and hoping that one day you'll just get it like there's no magical thing that comes with age and it feels like your parents or the people older than you like just some one day they just knew about money and one day they just knew how to save for retirement but that's not the case like everyone had to start somewhere. And it's okay to ask what feel like stupid questions. And it's okay to like Google and like just start trying to find resources. Just don't mentally hold yourself back because you just feel like there's too much you don't know. Because everyone starts from knowing nothing. And that's fine. And that's great.
0: And I think we're like very scared about money mistakes. Because there, there is more at stake with money mistakes than maybe mm-hmm. other mistakes we make in our life. But if you try out a new way of budgeting and it doesn't work for you, like that's a mistake that you can recover from. That's not a mistake that's going to set you back. And if you are cautious and wise in investing and ask yourself like the good gut questions and like you said if something sounds too good to be true like it probably is if you ask those questions and start out small chances are like things are going to be okay i think it's important to give yourself permission to have a learning curve with money and to recognize that there's lots of things you can do like double checking sources, getting a few different opinions, asking people you trust about new ideas. There's things you can do to grow and expand what you're doing with money that still does protect you. Like it's okay. There's ways to figure this out and keep yourself safe at the same time. Absolutely. Thank you so much to Kirsten for your time. And thank you so much to you for listening. I am so glad that you are here. You can find this podcast on Instagram at not a backup plan, and you can find me on Twitter at Madeline K. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple and Spotify, it helps so much. And make sure that you come back next week to hear the rest of my interview with Kirsten. And in the meantime, remember, this is your life, it's not a plan B.